What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Today's interview is with Douglas Ferguson, who is the president at Voltage Control, which is an agency where they facilitate meetings and workshops and teach businesses how to run better meetings and workshops. He's also the author of the new book, Magical Meetings, a book all about how to make your meetings better. I had a lot of fun in this interview because I I have a lot of negativity around meetings. My calendar tends to be booked with meetings end to end. I think most meetings are run really poorly. Douglas reminded me that it's not the meeting that's bad, it's how it's facilitated. And when facilitated well and set up properly, meetings can actually be quite delightful or magical. And so we go really deep into the structure of a meeting, the different kinds of meetings that can be run, how to facilitate effective meetings, what people are doing wrong when they run meetings. And this is going to be useful for any of you who are managing people or running meetings yourself within your company. And then, of course, it's also relevant if you're hosting meetings or hosting experiences for your community whether it's an informative meeting and you're just sharing information with all of your community members or you're trying to collaborate and co-create or generate something or make decisions together, we go through all of that. So you'll be able to apply it internally for your own team and externally for your own community. Lots of practical advice in this one. Let's dive in. And a quick shout out to someone who dropped a review on the podcast this week. This one goes out to the Gare Bear. Good name. David is incredibly insightful. His commitment and passion for educating his audience shines through. The diverse set of guests has opened up my eyes to the possibilities of community building as a serious career. Awesome. Really appreciate the review, Gare Bear. For anyone who listens to this podcast, please go ahead and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to your podcast. These reviews really help us improve the ranking of the podcast and get it out to more people. We really appreciate it. And you might have yours read out loud on the show. All right, well, let's dive in. Douglas, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So meetings, they suck. You write about this. (laughs) We all agree they suck. And... I'm very excited to learn how to make them suck less because I feel like my life, especially during COVID, is all meetings, all Zoom, all the time. But why don't we start with just learning a little bit about you and your background. You teach people how to run meetings and you facilitate meetings and you facilitate workshops and you work with lots of cool companies today. How did you get to the point where you became the uh, meeting and facilitation expert? Yeah, maybe I'll... Really quickly, just say that we have a belief that there's no such thing as bad meetings, just bad facilitators. And so <laughs> if you're having a meeting... Don't blame the meeting. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Someone scheduled that meeting. Someone decided to run it in that way. Let's hold everyone accountable. And that's how we start to improve meetings. And so that's the work we do. 
it's, it's not just about meetings. It's about change. It's about we, there's something we're trying to accomplish and we're having trouble getting there. And I came to this work as a CTO, which is a very strange path to find yourself as a facilitator. <laughs> I would say there's never a common path. Never do you meet someone that said, yeah, I went to college and majored in facilitation. It's similar to community in that way. Yeah, yeah. Community builders never plan to be a community builder. You just kind of fall into it. 100%. And being a CTO is what led me to become a community builder, which we can talk about a little bit later on. But as a CTO, specifically what led me into being a facilitator was this realization that I was super interested in what were the conditions that allowed my team to do their best work whether it was extreme programming or agile or lean or design sprints or any of these tools where we might bring people together mm. to collaborate new ways to like be more efficient in our communications or just to even to help people reset so they can approach problems in a new way really got me excited. And even though I love technology and I love elegant designs, whether it's databases or systems architectures, it was how we brought the people together in ways to make them more effective that I found was my true calling, my true passion. Mm. And so after my last startup, I started consulting around this and ultimately built up an agency around it. Love it. Awesome. And so you're also an author. You have four books. Yeah. It's a lot of writing. I've written one book and I'm not sure I ever want to put myself through that punishment again. I think the Magical Meetings are is your most recent book, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so... Now you have a whole book that's laying out how to solve this problem of making meetings more effective. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like a, a guide or lots of tips and tricks. The book is part of a series called The Non-Obvious Guides. And I love their slogan. It's like having a coffee with an expert. <laughs> and so... Mm, I like that. The publisher's thesis was that so many books are filled with like fables and stories and whatnot, which is sometimes can make things relatable. But he envisioned the series as being just a lot of tactical advice and tools and tips. And so we just thought, let's just put it all out there. And, and I think that really the cornerstone of the Magical Meetings content are the 10 meeting mantras and how people can kind of live by those mantras and have better meetings. Love that. And I agree. I think like there's this playbook that business books have been using for a while of we're going to tell these stories and take seven pages to get to a point. And I feel like that is just getting a little tired. So I really appreciate books that are very practical and get right to the point and the outcomes and the advice. So let's dive into that. I guess like, well, I guess first, like, what is a meeting? How do you define a meeting? Yeah, you know, a meeting can be any time that we're gathering to accomplish something. It could be a one-on-one, -on -one, it could be a team sync, it could be project kickoff, it could be a workshop. It could just any time we're collaborating when it's more than one person coming together to solve a problem or do a thing. And mm. we've actually got a template in the book. And then when I say template, we've got PDFs and mural templates where individuals or teams can walk through a series of questions and prompts and have guided discussion around some of these questions like, what is a meeting? Or specifically, the tool I'm thinking about is, what meeting are we having? Mm. And the, the cool thing about that tool is there's a, should we have this meeting test? Mm. And that's a little bit of a, a nod to that, this meeting should have been an email meme. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> should have been an email? Well, maybe. I don't know. Let's find out. Mm. 
I really like that. So is it a, a meeting different than an event? I think so, but you can make your event feel more like a meeting. Oh, that sounds dangerous. Well, I <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> if they're these dreadful meetings. Exactly. But if we take the magical meetings principles and apply them to events, we can have much better events. Yeah. Because often events have their own set of problems, right? Where they're one to many. Right. And people are invited to observe. And it's the same solutions. They're just, but the issues or the problems manifest themselves in different ways because we're, people are just following traditional patterns for events and traditional patterns for meetings. But if we look at how we design things to be more participatory, more inclusive, create more engagement, then everyone's going to enjoy themselves a lot more. And we as organizers or facilitators might learn some stuff too that then feeds into how we do it next time. And we all grow together. I mean, this is the whole origin of the concept of the unconference, right? It's like applying the same principles to the event space. Totally. Yeah, I, <laughs> you'll find that I'm very, I think I'm very negative on meetings as a concept. So I'm excited. I, maybe by the end of this chat, you'll have converted me. I appreciate your advocacy for making sure that meetings are not inherently bad. <laughs> well, let's start with that. Should this be a meeting? I love that framing because I think one of the first challenges that you have with meetings is most of them didn't need to exist in the first place. So that's right. how do you know if something should be a meeting? Well, first and foremost, I mean, for one thing, we have the team 10 meeting mantras. So like, it's probably a good idea to try to follow as many of those meeting mantras as possible. And specifically, the, the should we have this meeting test is getting into questions like, was this, is it essentially a status update in disguise? Right. Because most of the time, people don't want to admit that they're doing a status update. They'll make grand claims that like, oh, well, we're trying to make sure that we kind of feel out the room and see what people think about this or that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and then I observe it and I'm like, but you're not doing any of that. You're just telling them. You could have recorded a video and sent the video out. Right. And But so getting, taking a step back and looking at like, what's the difference between what's happening and what we're telling ourselves about what we want to happen or what we think is happening mm. and making sure that we're doing more than just having a status update. Did we create an artifact together? Mm. If so, then that's the mark of a good meeting or a meeting that we probably should have. What's an artifact? An artifact would be something like a rough draft. For instance, think about like we're a startup and we're going to, well, sorry, this podcast is about community. So let's say that we're community organizers or, or we're the stakeholder group or the steering committee for a community and we're thinking about our community programs. Imagine a meeting where we just sit down and we talk about what we want to do and then we hand out action items and maybe that meeting started off with an agenda. So we're checking all the boxes that are the standard, stayed, classical, like this is how to have good meeting. We had an agenda, which is probably a list of topics we wanted to talk about. Right. And then we talked about all of it and then we ended the meeting with action items. But what if someone brought a proposal for what the program should look like that we could look at Mm -hmm. a rough draft, a slide deck, whatever, like it is a a pitch or a visualization of what we think it will, how we think it will manifest. So either someone brings it and we review it together or we create it together on the fly. So like we say, all right, what are the components we need? Mm -hmm. Let's get inside of Mural or inside of Google Docs or inside, I'm a big fan of Session Lab. And Session Lab is not just about designing meetings. You can use Session Lab. It's an agenda building tool and it has support for multiple tracks. So you can do like very sophisticated events and conferences. So community organizers 
check out Session Lab if you're using Google Sheets or Excel for your agendas or your uh, schedule. Because, man, it's like so much Hmm. a breath of fresh air to drag things around and label stuff a little differently. Good to know. Okay, so, and I like that you pointed out that an agenda is table stakes because it's like, there's still a lot of meetings that won't even have an agenda. So table stakes. Yeah, and I think people do agendas wrong. So Ah. essentially, agendas should be more than a list of topics. An agenda should be your arc. So, and community organizers should get this, right? If you're having an event for a community, you don't think about like bringing people together and say, okay, we're going to start off with this and then we're going to do, and then we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about that done, right? You're thinking right. about, okay, how's it going to feel when they walk through the door? Yeah. How do they even feel when they get their invitation? Mm-hmm. You're, th- you're nurturing and taking care of these people every step of the way. And that's how we should think of our meetings. Like, what is that arc we want to take them on? Mm-hmm. And sure, we have content that's going to be like imbibed through that. But if we don't think about that arc and the journey and the energy flow, then we're, it's going to be really hard to hold that space, keep their attention, and, and consider their needs. Don't. Because if, if, if all we do is think about the content, we stop there, we're missing out on all the human potential. Totally. Okay, I have a thousand questions already. And just to call out, like, yes, everyone who listens to this podcast is a community builder, but we are also, for the most part, all doing it professionally as part of companies that do meetings. So like, it's relevant for how we organize our community and like bring our community together to collaborate on things and how we manage our teams, how we work with our colleagues this is all relevant. But yes, so you have to kind of design the entire experience the same way you do an event. How do people enter? Do you need breaks? How are you going to wrap up and close things? And so I like that as a fundamental for having a clear agenda. Okay, so we want to create an artifact and that could be something like a doc or a plan or something that we're co-creating. But like what a lot of people I think in their heads imagine is going to happen is, hey, I'm going to come present a bunch of this information and then I'm going to open it up to questions, right? And like, I'll do Q&A and that's interactive, right? So that makes it worth a meeting. Is that misguided? I think the intent is okay. I think the execution is not going to yield as good of results as if you make it participatory. That rather than having people pepper questions in at you, you could have folks respond directly to the thing. You could also asynchronously have folks comment on it. And then when you come together, now they've already processed. They've already had time to really think about how they feel about the options presented, alternative solutions. And so when we come together, we're really exploring those intersections of our thoughts not just simply checking boxes on answering questions. Mm -hmm. If we have more time in the room, I think allowing people some quiet time to review the artifact and like literally, ideally your tool allows you to like put comments on stuff in situ. We've switched to using Figma for all of our internal marketing like tools Mm. because it's a great tool for creating user interfaces, but I even like it for if we're building something programmatically and we can also annotate that and get feedback on on any of that stuff too. Totally. Murals, slide decks, what have you, we're always like visually annotating so that once we, after we have that quiet time, whether that's asynchronous or in the room, then we talk about those little touch points, those questions as a group and we work through them. Mm. So as much as that time together can be spent on actually problem solving or creating, that's generally our top goal is Mm. really focusing on the best use of that time together. Yeah. 
I love that. We start using Figma a lot for brainstorming and collaboration and those kinds of meetings as well. Like when we're coming up with community values or a new mission statement and we want to have everyone brainstorm together, Figma has been awesome for that. So that's another tool for everyone to try. And yeah, so I think like Q&A, it's kind of also like the bare minimum or like maybe the most base form of interaction is like, I'm going to say something and then you ask me. It's still very kind of like transactional in a way. Mm -hmm. So I like your advice of creating opportunities for everyone to create together, not just respond. And a huge part of that is giving people things to review ahead of time. I don't think a lot of people do for meetings, but when they do, it's completely impacts the quality of that meeting. When someone sends something out ahead of time with like, I already did the work of getting you the information, the basic issues we're working through, even like my suggestions and recommendations. So like everyone has time to process. So by the time you enter the meeting, you don't have to spend very much time getting everyone on the same page or sharing information. You can get right into discussion and co-creation. Yeah. And one thing else, a really important nuance that I want to point out is if you just take an existing planned meeting and go, okay, I'm going to send something out early. Yeah. That's homework. Don't do homework. Yes. No one has time for homework. Okay. Especially if you're still in these early moments of trying to transform your meeting culture, you probably have back-to-back meetings. No one has time for homework. Yep. So if you're going to do this approach, then your normal approach would have been to like have the meeting for the discussion to start building the thing. So instead of having the meeting to start building the thing, start sending that out to start asynchronously collecting the feedback and nudging folks asynchronously, once you get the feedback and it's starting to build momentum and you've got enough and you've built up enough uncertainty because you've gotten enough conflicting feedback and like people are starting to get engaged, then have then schedule the meeting. But if you preemptively schedule the meeting and then give them the thing to review before the meeting, now it just feels like, oh, I got to do this to prepare for the meeting. It's like, mm. like, so if you flip it or like, here's the thing we're working on and we're just asynchronously building this up, this is a different mindset of like, hey, we're building this forward versus, oh, I'm having to prepare for this meeting. It's a different thing. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So essentially, you want to involve people in co-creating this artifact ahead of the meeting. And it doesn't quite feel like the same kind of homework when you ask people for their feedback. It's quick. It's easy. They get to like read a few questions and just answer. And then it's on you to condense all of that into a piece of information for everyone to review together. So that feels very different than me sending out this long doc or presentation and say, hey, review this and then we'll discuss it. That's right. Even if I end up doing that, but it's after I've collected everyone's feedback and then I can even say like, okay, here's everyone's feedback. Here are my suggestions. If you want to review it before, that's great. We're going to discuss it together in the meeting. Yes. And the other thing too, the deadline's not arbitrary. Because if we set the meeting and say, review this beforehand, like we don't know if people are going to have time to do that. But if we start it organically and we start disseminating stuff out, you'll schedule the meeting when the timing is right. And I think that will align better with people's schedules and just what organically makes sense. And also, I think people will start to get just culturally kind of used to working in that way. And that's very powerful. Mm. Got it. Zooming out, you said something before that I want to ask you about back-to-back meetings. It feels like a lot of companies are developing this culture where they have just literally back-to-back meetings all day and there's like no room between meetings. What's your take on 
Is that a good thing? Or do you have suggestions for companies who are finding themselves bogged down in back-to-back meetings and have no space to properly prepare for meetings or reflect after meetings? Yeah, my favorite tool is an old one. You know, Peter Drucker had the calendar review and he used it slightly differently. You know, he would work with executives and say, what's your top priority? And they would immediately, they knew it. You know, if they were a good executive, they took them no time to spit out the top priority because that's their job is knowing that, setting that and rallying everyone around that. And he would say, okay, great. And then he's like, let's see your calendar. And they'd look at the calendar and they'd circle everything that's related or would directly impact the priority. And inevitably, it would be like somewhere between 10 to like 20% of their time. Mm-hmm. And so his question was like, what's this eight other 80% stuff? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, and like, there's no good answer to that. Because mm-hmm. if, like, if it's your, t- the number one one that I see is like when CEOs come to me and they tell me like, oh, I have a really hard time hiring a community manager or I have a really hard time hiring a developer. And I was like, well, what's your strategy and how much time are you devoting to it? And they're like, and I look yeah. at it, they're spending like an hour a week on it or something. I was like, no, well, no wonder you're not. It's hard. Yeah. Like you got to spend time on this. Right. And so mm. anyway, coming more directly to your question, look at your calendar, look at how you're spending time. If people are pulling you into meetings that you don't need to be in, if you think about the classic racy chart, responsible, accountable, consulted, included, then think about like, if you're not responsible, then if you're responsible, you should probably be in the meeting. Right. Unless you can delegate, you can't be in two places at once, et cetera, et cetera. But, and then certainly if you're accountable, eh, yeah. But if you're being consulted, do you know if they're going to be bringing up something that your advice is needed on. If something comes up, can they easily find you? Is it only going to be like, even if it does come up, is it only 10% of the time? Mm -hmm. These are important things to think about and starting to say no and building a culture of making meetings optional. Because I think the, the modern digital calendar is really great and efficient, but it's created this like, Oh, it just pops onto my calendar and I'm expected to be there and I just go there. Do not yeah. be a slave to your calendar. You are a sentient human being and you should be the boss of your calendar. Mm-hmm. And so literally like turn the screws on that bitch and like, sorry if you don't like the language, but like literally. This is a profanity friendly podcast. Good, good. <laughs> so like literally, man, I just like woman handle that thing and show it who's boss because I think that's the number one problem. There, I also saw this other interesting phenomenon with one of my big clients where it's like the desire to be inclusive, like swung the pendulum way in the wrong direction. Mm. And it created this sense of FOMO. And so like everyone was trying to be in all the meetings and that is a very dysfunctional right. culture. Right, right, so right. like we don't want to exclude people that need to be there, but having people there that don't need to be there and it's not providing value for them it's not providing value for the project or the other people in the room, then it's actually a burden and an expense to the company. Right. And also, I would say, just like be thoughtful about that. And people always joke about, we're having a meeting about the meeting. And I think that is a funny meme because when you're in a meeting that's supposed to be about something else, but you're talking about like the next time you're going to talk about the thing and like, it's very dysfunctional. Right. But if we have an intentional meeting about meetings, where we sit down and say, what is our culture? How are we going to approach these? And like, why am I in all these meetings? It can be very effective. And I guarantee you, all the people that complain about back-to-back meetings, 
I guarantee you they've never sat down with their colleagues, with their boss and said, what are we going to do about this? Yeah, It's just like a thing to complain about, commiserate about, but it's easy to solve if we just sit down and take a step back. And the thing is, is you had to hit the pause button on all the crazy roller coaster just for a moment. But I can tell you, you will catch back up so much so very quickly because once you clear the space in your day, it doesn't take very long for that one day or two that you hit the pause button and said, I'm just going to stop doing this for a minute so we can figure it out. Yeah. You just catch back up. I want to dig into this a little bit because I think what I've experienced and I've experienced this in our own company is that especially with COVID and all going virtual, running into each other in the hallways, in the office anymore, there's just a real feeling of silos and an inability to feel connected to people that you're not actively working with on projects every single day. And so a lot of the time, meetings are suggested as a solution to that problem. And we have all these meetings in our company where they're essentially like cross-functional or they're within a team, right? So within a team, it's like a weekly marketing update and everyone in marketing comes and we kind of go through the information and have a few decisions that we want to make together and we go through that. There's also like leadership meetings where maybe it's all of like the go-to-market that's marketing and CS and sales and someone from product comes and and it's just like trying to connect the different leaders from different teams so that everyone feels connected and we talk about like higher level challenges. But like all the things you're describing are true in these meetings where they largely end up having like a pretty loose agenda. We go through like a bunch of topics. Maybe one topic is relevant to each person and then like the other 80% of topics aren't relevant to everybody. So how do you think about making sure that people within a company feel connected, are able to identify opportunities where they can collaborate across different teams? Are meetings an effective solution for that? So I think at the end of the day, meetings can play a role. I think there's multiple tools you want to have in your toolbox. And you need to have a conversation around the needs and what we're trying to accomplish, right? And that's why the tools we provided and where when we help people go through a transformation project around their meeting culture, we're inviting a conversation around these moments. Okay, so what are all these things we're doing and what value do we get out of them? And how might we redesign them or change the cadence or just approach them in a different way? And so anytime I hear the word update, I'm like, I, that name in and of itself tells me that is a, that's a status update. Right. And it probably could be a Loom video. And if we are going to make a decision, is it the type of decision that we can make like asynchronously through some kind of voting system or just some kind of informal consensus mechanism? And then maybe we have a, more infrequent meeting that for some other purpose. Now, I would say that it is important to be connected. It is important to support team health. And certainly the, the spontaneity that we had from just bumping into people in the office is lost in distributed teams, whether this is forced by pandemic or you just happen to be in a distributed company or building one. But I would not combine that inadvertently with every random meeting that you have. I would be very intentional mm -hmm. about when I do my team health meetings or when I want to introduce that into a meeting because there's a BBC report that came out that said that most ineffective meetings are actually a form of therapy. <laughs> so it's happening yeah. 
is people thrive that connection. They want it. They need it. They're like, I haven't seen David in ages. And this is what's happening subconsciously. Yeah. You know, they're not sitting there going, oh, I need to like, I need need to have a coffee with David. So I'm just going to put a marketing meeting on a calendar. Like it's like, and just subconsciously they're like, boom, boom, connection, boom, marketing, boom. We need a marketing meeting. So if we are intentional about this and have conversations around our needs, then we can get out of the self-medication mode and then we prescribe just the right amount. So it's not too little where people are frustrated and feeling like they're not connected and they're not fulfilled in that way. Also, we're not over-medicating where we're just like haphazardly just throwing right. icebreakers around everywhere and meetings we don't need, et cetera. <laughs> right. Yeah. Too, having too many icebreakers is never a good thing. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I've definitely experienced that where there are meetings where like it's clear everyone just wants to get together and just vent or riff and just like have a space to talk. And that's really valuable. It's hard when that's not why you meant to meet. Like you tried to come together to build something or make a decision. And in the end, you just kind of like rambled the whole time. But I know I leave those meetings sometimes feeling good because I'm like, ah, like it just felt good to talk to my colleagues and not have this overly structured format and just be able to open up a little bit. And I don't think we create enough intentional spaces for those kinds of conversations. So that's why it ends up seeping into our like meant to be productive meetings. And then the flip side of that is like, if you're actually trying to accomplish a goal, just be really intentional and structured about what those outcomes are and where you bring in the more casual conversation because it's easy to get lost in casual conversation. You know, that brings up two ideas that are things that I'm a big fan of. One is the planned spontaneity. So like you can actually like put stuff on your calendar. I don't know if anyone like was in from the startup scene and remembers like the beer cart Fridays or whatever, but you know, like these are like planned occurrences. They're like there for fun. And like we, even though we were together in the moments, it created some spontaneity, even though we had a program for it, there was a container for it. So just because we're distributed doesn't mean we can't do that. Like Mm -hmm. have a Slack group and have a huddle going and people can come in and join that huddle at any time. I've got one client, their developers literally go into Slack, turn on the huddle. This is their group team thread. And they'll be like, they'll have as many as 15 developers in that huddle, not saying anything, (laughs) just coding away. And then someone will run into something and say, Hey, has anyone seen this new like GitHub action that just blah 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 whatever? And then someone, oh yeah, yeah, but you just need to look at the check out this file and this folder, and then boom, their problem solved, right? And it was way less of an interruption. They didn't have to ping a bunch of people. The one person that knew spoke up, and everyone else just ignored it. Mm-hmm. And I, and those little moments happen, just like when you're in an office and you turn to people, and just so having that channel going. And if and if you need to slip out, you can slip out, and so. That's kind of fun, but you can have these little plans, spontaneity moments, whether it's uh, on certain days or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if the cool thing is if you're busy or if you have a meeting roll run over or you need to go prepare for a meeting, not a big deal. You're going to slip out and you go do that stuff, but it's there if you need it. Mm-hmm. Some folks are going to be there hanging out. We do a weekly team connect meeting and there's a little bit of status going on, but it's an opportunity for me to talk about some like updates and vision setting that I have, um, announcements that I want to make for folks. Mm-hmm. And I was finally able to like bring, get everyone health insurance. And so that was a big announcement last week. And and then we do breakout rooms so people can connect. And in fact, that's where we do our status updates. 
we share our celebrations and status updates in our small group breakouts. But then when we bring to the whole group are any questions we have or anything we're stuck on. And then we have, then we also pick someone to be our amplifier of the week who is a person that, that exemplified our values. And so there's a lot of team health stuff going on, but then there's a little bit of like opportunity to like raise a question and get unstuck. And that just punctuates a weekly moment that we all spend together Mm -hmm. and we book it for an hour, but the programmed activities are only for 30 minutes. And so so if someone needs to peel away for a meeting or to prepare for a client, something else, they can, but we stick around if we want to hang out and huddle and have just continue to connect and stuff. Mm. And likewise, you can also reserve spots in your calendar when you think you do your best work to say you're really productive in the afternoons. Well, just put time on your calendar that says like, whatever. And if you're the type of company that exposes the titles of meetings, when other people are booking and seeing what's on your calendar, don't say like work time or reserve time or something that someone thinks like, oh, they just put that in there, but it doesn't mean anything. Right. Like if they can see it, give it a name that they wouldn't book over. Yeah. Like it could be like urgent client meeting or I don't (laughs) know, like just, (laughs) but really like- Fighting crime. Yeah, exactly. Really, really hold it (laughs) sacred. Yeah. That way you got that time. Mine, I just get aggressive in mine. Yeah. I put in all caps, do not book. (laughs) (laughs) Just like be angry. And yeah, those blocks are huge for me. And I started doing no meeting Thursdays. I like- have been preaching the idea of doing a no meeting day for so long. And I don't know how many people take my advice on it, but it's like the single best thing I've done for my productivity and my sanity is a no meeting day. Okay, great. I'd love to move a little bit more into some of the specific kinds of meetings that you run and facilitate. And I imagine these are things we can use in our teams as well as in our communities. So what are the different kinds of meetings that you facilitate? And maybe we can hone in just one or two and and get your advice on how to effectively run one of those meetings. The meetings that that we run are often custom. Like a client comes to us with a challenge and they're like, they might be needing some sort of strategic planning, a board meeting, these kinds of things. But that's not the kind of stuff people are experiencing like day to day. I mentioned the team kind of sync meeting. Like that structure, I think, is something that would be common to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I would say prioritization meetings are popular, whatever you call them, right? Because at the end of the day, you need to talk about some things and then walk out with some decisions or some sort of priority. right? And so I think if you think about it from a structural standpoint, it, we are essentially reviewing some options or, and then talking about some criteria mm-hmm. that are important to us and then prioritizing. And so starting off with what do we know about the problem we're facing and how we're, how we're impacted by it, like some general information, data, background, and then what are the options, like the approaches we might take or what we might do. And then it's also important to think about what's the criteria that we might consider so that we're not just like thinking option A, option B, and just comparing the options. Like we really could say, okay, we know this. How does this option rate based on the criteria? And how does this option rate based on the criteria? Right. And then from there, we can make a, a really healthy decision together. And there's lots of different models for decision making. And it really depends on the, the makeup of the team and what they resonate with. But like if, I, if I've got a really indecisive team, I like to do kind of card sorting. 
or like grouping type of activities. Mm -hmm. And that's like, if anyone's heard of Moscow, that's like must have, should have, could have, won't have. Mm. And so first putting stuff into those buckets can help like just, okay, let's not consider these anymore. And let's then focus on these, right? Right. You could also just out of the gate say, hey, what are we not going to do? Okay, let's move those aside. Because like, if you're talking about stuff that you already know you're not going to do, then that's a waste of time, <laughs> right? Right. And so just, funnel, and you think of it like a funnel, right? We're just kind of trying to funnel down, funnel down. And then finally, really using some kind of mechanism that really embraces the meeting mantra of disagree and commit. We don't have to be unanimous as long as we get enough support from the team and find a, find a way to go prototype and test it, right? Because mm. ultimately, most decisions are not irreversible. Right. And most decisions have a limited blast radius. So they're not going to like put the company out of business. <laughs> right. And generally, there's probably a way to learn from it. So that would be the arc for like a um, decision making meeting. But okay. if you take that arc and think about that journey of like, here's some, how do we set up the expectations and get aligned on the intent of what we're trying to decide on and then look at some options and then the criteria and then use whatever decision making tool that might include some filtering and then be comfortable with the fact that not everyone's going to agree, but we're going to go see how quickly we can learn. I think it's a good arc to think about. And then there's this nuance in how you do those things based on the company culture. And, and also, I'm not a big fan of just coming in with like, hey, here's the best tool and it just being incongruent with the other things you're doing, right? I think as long as you're thinking about a really solid arc and journey that, that sets up the dominoes, you can approach it in so many different ways. And if you've got good tools and good ways that you do things already, it's no need to change those things. So I really like to focus on the fundamentals and the arcs you might go through. And then if you're stuck, then we can talk about, okay, well, here's a way you might make a decision. But people, most of the time, have some of that low-level stuff figured out already. Got it. Okay, so there's a lot of gold in there. So if I'm organizing a meeting one of the main reasons that people organize a meeting is to essentially make a decision or come up with a list of prioritization of things that they're going to focus on. If I'm going to do that meeting, if I'm going to facilitate that, I'm going to come with here are the different things we're considering and here's the criteria. Back to your point earlier, maybe I crowdsource that and I ask people ahead of time, like, what are the criteria you think is important? What are the different options? Collect that from everybody. And then in the meeting, essentially working through some process of breaking or filtering down those options. Moscow was a really good one. I haven't heard that before. And so that's one way of filtering down. The, just having different criteria. This is something we I've done a lot is you have the criteria and you essentially have it in a spreadsheet and you go through and rate each item. You actually give them a number. Yeah. And sometimes you can even weight the number differently. And it's not a foolproof way of figuring out the priorities, but it's a really good visual way to show like, okay, well, this one ended up getting rated 18 and this one ended up getting rated seven. So like pretty clear that based on the criteria and the numbers we gave it, the 18 feels more important. And then you can talk about other yeah. factors to consider. For sure. The weighted rank is one of the consensus models that we teach in, in our facilitation training and highly effective. And that example you showed of like, two things coming out, like one's clearly higher than the other. But if the team stands up and says that sometimes they can get passionate about, I don't, like 
they're visibly disturbed that this one rated so low. Yeah. That can be right. such a great source of dialogue. Right. And that's really what we're trying to get at. It's like, what are we? Because we, we're not trying to just mechanistically get to something that's just telling us some answer that we just have to blindly like follow like robots. But if the tool gives us to a pithy conversation where people can be authentic and say, no, no, I really mm-hmm. feel like we should do this. And I was like, well, why? Yeah. Like, why are they advocating totally. for it that way? And then does anyone disagree? So that's why the where the facilitator comes in. It's like pulling out the dialogue from everyone and making sure that everyone speaks their truth. And these tools just help get the thoughts going, right? Because it gives people uh, something to respond to. And to your point on the crowdsourcing of the options, really powerful. But if you have more time in the session, I mean, if it's a 90-minute session, you might do the crowdsourcing in the room, right? Right, if you have enough time. And one of my favorite ways to do that is just from, with some quiet work. We just say, okay, everyone, like we have this mural. I want you to type in all the diff- all your ideas of how we might solve it. And then I might have people do some clustering. So then they're like combining things that seem similar. Totally. And then that might lead to other ideas because we're finding intersectionality between two ideas. Oh, well, when I see these two things together, I think of this third thing. And so there's you know, more and more stuff is evolving. And it's way more powerful than just talking. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times talking, we just don't integrate in the same way. And everyone's waiting. They're not even, they're half listening because they're waiting to like present their case. Totally. Yeah. I love that. That's exactly, that's how we did the values for our community. We did it on Figma, had each person individually. We did this internally with our team members and then externally with community members, had them just put like all of their ideas for what words and phrases come to mind for the values of our community and then clustered it into themes or groups and then like discussed it for a little bit and then had each person look at each theme and suggest a phrasing based on that theme that could be a value. Yeah. And then we like opened up the discussion again and had everyone vote with emojis on which ones really resonated with them and just ended up with like a really good, thoughtful list of values that the community co-created together. I love that. And a lot of times when you're co-creating something like that on the fly, you don't have time to wordsmith the thing. And then, so one of my favorite moves is after that, you go wordsmith the stuff You might take the thing and add a description to it, embellish it, turn a word into like a salient like uh, phrase. Mm -hmm. So it's more meaningful for your organization and then a description. And then maybe uh, you build stuff out into like into something more, more elaborate. And then you have a follow on session where you bring people together and say, what do we think? Did this change in some way that distorted it? Or can we support this? Mm -hmm. Like literally open up the dialogue around. What are people, how are people feeling about this now that someone else took it further? And it's such a great way to combine synchronous and asynchronous work. You know, we have this time together where we jam and we create stuff and then someone goes off and does some stuff and then we come back together and punctuate it into more of a, a deeper kind of a, like exploration together around how we feel about how, what kind of new form it took. Mm-hmm. Yep. Other sorts of outcomes that like or types of meetings with different kinds of outcomes that you see. So we have like collective decision-making. We have kind of co-creation of something like values. Are there other kinds of outcomes that you see are really popular reasons for meeting? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's so many, there's a myriad of things. And the way we broke it down in the book is first, we have to be really attuned to our purpose. And if we get really attuned to our purpose, that can help us understand how to define that journey 
in a more authentic and um, intentional way, right? And so if our purpose is to define our values, okay, let's make sure everything we do together is in service of defining the values. And we may even, if we have enough foresight, we might say we want to co-create our values. And it's like, okay, now our design is really going to lean into that co-creation piece Mm -hmm. of collecting the ideas and making sure everyone feels like they shape the values. But the purpose, I mean, it's endless of the types of things that you might decide that you want to do together, but you can't figure out how to do it unless you start with the, like, what is it, the why Mm -hmm. that we feel like we need to bring these people together. So we're getting really crisp and clear on that. I mean, just like any event that we might be pulling together, even our community, we can't have a good community unless we have a solid purpose statement around why these people should even commune. Because a, a community is not like going, going to spring to life just because the CEO heard from her CEO pal, the communities are really effective and we got to have a community too. You got a solid vision and purpose of why there should be a community and how people are going to benefit from it, et cetera. And so meetings are no different. So you got to start there. And then from there, then we talk about the types of meetings. And really, these are the building blocks of meetings, if you will. And you can mix and match. And one of them is decisive. So we already talked about a purely decisive meeting, right? Because some meetings are purely designed to just come in and make a decision. Mm -hmm. There's generative meetings. So generative meetings are meant to generate a bunch of ideas. In your case, when you were talking about the values, you're being generative and you're being decisive, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to do those at the same time. You could separate them and say, and we right. might generate. We could have just done generative and like, we'll decide later. Exactly. But like, let's just get ideas, right? That's right. And then we have explorative and that's where we're learning together. Mm. That's where we're looking at the intersectionality of things. We might take all these ideas that we collected and now we're starting to put them together in new and different ways. You know, I'm taking your crazy Lego creation and like pop and putting mine on it in different ways to say like, what does that look like? Mm. <laughs> and then also explorative could be not only exploring new combinations of things, but exploring totally new territory. So we might be learning together. I would say like a, a lunch and learn is a type of exploratory type of meeting. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So exploratory, the outcome is just learning, which feels a little loose. But as long as you're intentional and saying like, we're not here to make decisions, we're not here to even create, we're just here to learn. So we're going to learn from each other. That's really powerful what you just said. And I want to, I really want to underscore that because it comes back to my point around the purpose. Right. Because you said it's not decisive. It might seem loose, but that's okay. It is always okay if we are true to our purpose. Right. But the trick is, if we don't clarify our purpose, we don't know if we're true to it, and our participants don't know we're true to it. It's the classic, have you ever heard this like management advice to like make sure that your team knows how you plan to make a decision? No. Really, really powerful. So if you as a leader are going to make the decision, but you're just asking for advice just to maybe validate or just to get some extra context before you commit, and you might already have your mind made up, but you, you just want to hear a devil's advocate before you go through with it, that's way different than if you go and you say, hey, Susan, can you make this decision for me? Or hey, Susan, we're going to collectively, or hey, Susan and Bob and Ellen, we're all going to collectively make this decision together. Those are all four different models, right? 
And if everyone in the meeting is thinking we're taking a different approach, or if anybody in the meeting, Mm. even one person thinks we're taking a different approach, they're going to walk out disgruntled. Mm. They're going to be like, that was a shit show, Mm -hmm. right? Because it it did not hit their expectations. And so really, really clear and really, really important to clarify like our decision-making framework just in general, always as a leader. Like if we're asking for a vice slip, maybe give context on why and what you plan to do with it. But in the context of meetings, we take it a step further. If we don't clarify our purpose, our attendees don't have good expectations coming in. And so if it truly is just an explorative meeting and they think we're coming in to make a decision, they're going to think it's a horrible meeting. Totally. And it might've just been totally fine. Right. And I think that also is the reason why so many people think meetings suck because they didn't have good expectations going in. So the meeting had no chance of being any good. Mm, I love that so much. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely resonating. So many meetings where, yeah, it's a leader who is sharing things, but it's clear they've already made their decision, but they're kind of presenting it as if they're making a decision together and it just feels completely misaligned. And I really like the idea of going in and saying, and this is whether you're doing it for your community or your staff or whoever, going in and saying, I have no idea what we're going to do here. And I'm really looking to open up a space to hear from you and collect information. And then I'll be able to decide later. I have no idea what we're going to do here. And I'd like for us to reach a consensus together about what we're going to do. And I want all of us to be able to be a part of making that decision. Like Even those two things feel really, really different. And I think people who participate in that experience really value knowing which one they're participating in. Yes, 100%. It's, you'd be amazed how much of a difference that one thing can make. It's just expectation setting. Everyone's just so much happier. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Okay, so we have uh, decision-making meetings. We have generative meetings. We have kind of learning or explorative meetings. We talked earlier, there is like the informative meeting, which I will say like the idea of just like sharing information often doesn't make sense. But in things like in all hands, there is good energy to get like all of the company together in a room and have the CEO kind of like share the big updates and everyone's chatting. Like that's okay too, as long as it's clear, like this is more about information sharing and there isn't going to be space for discussion. Do you disagree? Yeah, I would even ask. Yeah. So informative is another type of meeting. Okay. And then also the last one is uh, team health. So Mm, okay. And I think those are the elements we're working with. And of course, meetings can have one or many of these types within them. Right. I would say if a meeting is purely informative, that's when we have to be really, we got to tread very carefully. And to your point, perhaps the all hands is the one you might be more easy to justify. But even so, I would dig deeper into the purpose. Because if our purpose is just to update everyone on everything that's been accomplished, then couldn't we just do that with a video, like a really nice, well-produced video? You could. That we send out that's like really, like where the CEO is really just speaking to everyone and it just feels awesome. And maybe they get like a special pack, a special little thing. I don't know. There's probably ways to... There is value in being there live though, right? Like there's value in... So what's the value in live? Like how do, And also how does that serve our purpose? So let's unpack it live. So what's the value in being there live in person? Well, yeah, if I'm an employee, as I am, and I've joined our all hands that we do every month, which I have, yeah, the CEOs like sharing big updates, sharing new information we haven't seen before, being transparent about all the things happening in the company, and the chat is going. You know, there's a live chat component to it. We're not just watching, we are participating with each other in 
the text-based chat, right? And then even there's something, maybe it's subtle and it's hard to articulate, but the difference between people listening to me and you talk right now on the podcast and a recording versus if they're listening to us live would feel different. Mm. It would feel different. And I can, I don't know exactly why, right? Like if you listen to someone on Twitter spaces right now, you can't interact, but it does feel different to be there live. Yeah, it's the psychological impact of like knowing that, hey, this is ephemeral. Right. Like it's unfolding in this moment. Also, it's like this feeling that you're a part of something that's unfolding. So if that is the thing that's special, what can we do to the design of that thing to embrace what is special about that, emphasize it, elevate it? So when I hear like, oh, everyone's in the chats and elevating each other, that's really cool. So like, what if, and if everyone's enjoying those chats and seeing that fly by, maybe we should have a moment where there's breakout rooms of like four to six people talking about what they notice about the chats or before the thing starts where everyone can connect and talk about what they're excited about that's about to happen. So it could be an anticipatory moment that's appreciating what's about to happen, or it could be a reflective moment about what they just witnessed or both. So you're leaning in to that and really emphasizing it versus it being just like, oh, there's chats over here and people could use them. We're designing it into the arc. So it's a programmed moment to really embrace the fact that people are like, oh yeah, it's exciting that it's live and unfolding. Mm. Maybe even certainly Q&A or like this notion that like maybe, maybe we're going to randomly pull one or two or a handful of folks up on stage to have a panel with the CEO. Mm. I like that. Yeah. That would really like make it very like ephemeral in the moment because I don't know. Am I about to get pulled up? I don't know. You know, <laughs> like, right. yeah. So things like that, I think what this what I'm talking about, like really thinking about what is it that, that is special about keeping it? And then also what is our purpose and how do we really lean into that from a design standpoint? Yeah, I like that a lot. And back to your point at the beginning of the interview, doing the meeting about the meeting. Like what if we had a meeting specifically about the all hands meeting? Just to think about like, cool, what are some ways that having us all live there, we could take advantage of that opportunity and be intentional about designing the chat instead of just leaving it open. Like it's good too. It's like open is good. It's going well, but there's probably more we can do to really capture the value of having our entire company in the same room at the same time once a month. Yeah. Is there a moderator there in the chat? So are they do to do something or... Is someone literally watching the chats and drawing like visualizations of what they're seeing? And then that's like up <laughs> yeah, on a right. separate screen share. Right. Like the world, it's like an endless sea of possibility. Yeah. But we don't even consider it unless we like focus on it. That's great. That's good stuff. Okay. Well, I have so many more meetings, um, so many more questions about meetings, but we're coming up on the end of the interview. So it's time for the rapid fire question round where I ask you questions and you answer them rapidly. Douglas, are you ready? I think I'm ready. Yes. Okay. I might throw in some curveballs here. Let's see. First question. What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others? I've got friends that like have the one book. Like my friend Daniel loves to give the, the book, The Inner Game of Tennis, mm. and which is like a really great one. And I got other friends that like they have their book and I'm kind of jealous because I change mine. Every year I pick a book for Christmas. And I give that book out. Oh, that's awesome. The same book out to everyone as my Christmas gift to everybody. And this year we did the beautiful, a more beautiful question. Mm. And he also 
the reason I studied that out is because he also wrote a book called The Book of Beautiful Questions. And my brain went to that book and I almost said it. I was like, I had to stop myself because it's okay. like, no, that's not the one I gave away. <laughs> right. But yeah, he wrote A More Beautiful Question, which is a really fabulous book about just like asking good questions. And that's the hallmark of good facilitation is great questions. I love that. That's a great recommendation for community builders. And for me, I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> so I will read that book. All right, next question. What's the most obscure group you've ever facilitated a workshop for? The most obscure group I've ever facilitated a workshop for. I feel like that when I read this questions before, I was like, I was thinking about the most obscure group I've been a part That's of. That's another question. And that is, <laughs> I'm a musician and I was a part of a, a noise rock scene. And I would say that's pretty obscure. Not a lot of... What's noise rock? Not a very large group of people making noise rock. And I like my little small niche noise com or small niche music communities. It's like, <laughs> it's a passion. I like it being called noise community. What is noise rock? Noise rock is like, I would say is a subgenre of noise music, which noise music is just like stuff that tends to be atonal or kind of bucking the trends of like, let's just say there's no sheet music for this stuff. Okay. <laughs> and it's atonal or not following like standard chords or melodies. So it's like more about like okay. texture. Like sometimes you might hear this kind of stuff like on music soundtracks and stuff like atmospheric type stuff. Right, right, like right. ambient. Some people might classify ambient as a subgenre of um, noise. Okay. But noise rock is where we take like noise, kind of chaotic, visceral kind of sound, noise, soundscapey kind of stuff, but apply drums to it. <laughs> and even like it might even... It's almost like John Coltrane aesthetic, but played like rock music. This was the band that I had. So it was all improv, but we had loose structures that we'd follow. Interesting. So you can understand why I like facilitation because clearly I like structures and I like improv. So yeah. <laughs> Got, yeah. It's just a balance in your life of high structure and low structure activities. That's right. Well, that's very interesting. I did not know about that genre and I have some research to do now. All right. Next question. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? Important question. I have never worn... I don't even own sandals. I'm not a... You don't own sandals. That is that is weird. Not a sandals fan. But I think if I did have sandals, I might wear socks because I'm not like a big like toes out kind of guy. <laughs> God, maybe there's a community for people who don't own sandals and you can add that to your your weird groups that you're a part of. The, yeah, there you go. <laughs> What's one community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your groups? I think co-creation would be a tactic. Conversation starter would be, I don't ever necessarily go to specific prompt because I usually try to tailor the invitation to what is germane to them or what's important to them. Mm. But I, one of my go-to go-tos is appreciative inquiry. And so starting off with having people tell stories about stuff that resonate with them from a space of appreciation, like what is, if we focus on what has gone well in the past, because it's so often that people want to commiserate. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a lot of like positive or there's not a lot of insights we can get just from thinking about how bad things are. But if we focus on what went well and we amplify those things and do that more, then I think we can grow a lot more. And so positive deviance is the name of the study of like 
of the goodness and like the mm. and celebrating where we've done well. And so appreciative inquiry is a inviting of the community and people to have those conversations. It's a great way to start an event. Got it. So the opening might be something like share something that is going well in your life or well on your team. Yeah, exactly. And so you would basically ask folks to go and get into groups of two. And let's say that this is, so I mentioned that as a CTO, this is when I started to do some of my first community building because I created a community of local CTOs because I found that it was very lonely at the top. You know, as a CTO, Mm -hmm. I was expected to have all the answers. There was only one CTO at the company and that was me. Right. So I didn't have any other CTOs to go to. So if I wanted to have other CTOs to commune with, I had to create a place for us to hang out. And so I created a CTO group in Austin that met like once a month. So if we were going to meet, like maybe an example of a a tailored invitation for that group would be just like, as we're getting started, I'll say, okay, everyone find a partner. I want you all to exchange stories about a recent time when you all notice that your team surprised you in a really unexpected way. Mm, I like that. Love it. All right. Next question. What habit has had the most positive impact on your personal life? Consistency. Mm, how do you practice that habit? <laughs> well, can, how do you practice consistency? You do the same thing over and over and over again. But let me say this. Like, I think the trick with consistency is that you can't be dogmatic, which is like, that's really challenging sometimes because sometimes like the mere fact of practicing consistency means that you got to get in, into a pattern. Yeah. You got to build up muscle memory and build a ritual, which can, can slip into dogma land, right? Which is like, this is the only way to do it. Or this, like, or you don't want to change things up because it'll get more difficult. But like, for instance, for me, I set an intention that I was going to go to the gym every day. Because oftentimes you hear that like working, everyone should work out three times a week. Mm-hmm. Well, if you set an intention to work out three times a week and something comes up and it gets canceled, you only worked out two times that week. Mm-hmm. So for consistency, I'm like, I'm going to do it every day. And then if I need to take a day off or I miss a day, oh, that turned into six days. If I get sick, maybe. It, and so I, I never go a week without hitting three days. 100%. And it's that consistency that helped me get there. And when I started making content for my company, I told myself I was going to write once a week. I was going to re- release a blog post once a week. Mm-hmm. And Sunday was my day because I knew I wouldn't have any client commitments. I could reserve it. No one was going to take it away from me. So Sunday afternoons, I would sit and write. And I didn't care if I didn't. And because I had that commitment or consistency, I couldn't make excuses. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say, well, I don't have anything to write about this week. It didn't matter. Right. I had to go on Twitter yeah. and look at like what everyone was talking about that week. I had to go look, looked on LinkedIn about what things, random stuff I had said that week. I went through my notes of when I had had one-on-ones and meetings with people, random things I scribbled down that I just said out of nowhere. And then I just sat down and wrote. And I think that it- Committing to consistency, sounds like. Just yeah, committing to consistency is a great way to summarize that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Love it. Next question. Should people be on or off mute in their meetings on Zoom? Mm, I think that we need a culture for people to feel vulnerable and have psychological safety to unmute and speak at any time. Mm-hmm. I think a facilitator should have the freedom to mute everyone. Mm. And not have anyone get upset or feel uncomfortable, then unmuting themselves. 
because inevitably environmental noise will can add up. If someone's got a jackhammer out the door, you know, that might be annoying. But if someone else has a dog and someone else has a baby screaming, all of it adding up is going to get quite cacophonous. So I think we got to have safety to mute folks without them feeling offended. And then we have to have safety for people to unmute themselves and speak up. Basically, unmute if it's quiet. Yes, exactly. Well, even if it's not quiet, if you got something to say, unmute. I don't care if there's a jackhammer out your door. Right. If you're actively talking, if you're passively, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But we got to maintain the environment Yes. for clarity. But like people should feel empowered to unmute and talk. So mic on. We should feel like our mic is on anytime we want to speak up and people should have the confidence to do that. And if they don't, that should, that's a signal that may, we don't have we don't have the safety and we need to work on that. And that's difficult work. And what I, I'm actually not a big fan of using Zoom webinar for, for meetings or even, I don't even like to do webinars because whenever we do like a public thing, I want to bring people in and talk to them and right. engage them and make them participate. It's one to many. To all of the values that we hold dear, we can't create in webinar because there is a, there is a glass, there is a wall that people can't cross. And I don't like that. Totally. All right. Last question. If you could condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice to the rest of the world on how to live, what would that advice be? Stay curious. Why is that your advice? I think that especially with the rate of change these days, there's so much that we don't know about the world as it is today. And certainly we don't know about the way it will be tomorrow. And if we don't stay curious, and we don't uh, maintain a growth mindset, we'll be left behind. And it's just a more fun way to live the world. If we approach the world from a child's sense of wonder and awe, then there's just so much more for the world to offer us. If we come in a room as an expert, no one's going to tell us anything. But if we come in the room curious with a growth mindset, we can learn a lot. And sometimes it may be a nuance to something we already know, but it might open up the door for us to go to a new place, to enjoy a new thing. And so just stay curious and keep asking questions. Well said. Douglas, I really appreciate it. Where can people go to continue to learn from you and find out more about your work and potentially work with you and find all your books? Yeah, voltagecontrol.com is the best place to find me and the work that I'm doing. Also really active on LinkedIn. And so you can reach out to me there and follow me and connect and see all the content coming out. And I love to connect and build relationships. And it's like, I feel like I'm a community builder at the heart, even if it's just small community, even if it's not informal. I just love networking and meeting people and learning what people have to offer and, and what cool stuff they're doing in the world. So I would, my biggest call to action is don't be hesitant to reach out if you'd like to connect. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on the show today and sharing all your wisdom. And you're doing extremely important work in this world of meetings and Zooms. And for everyone who's building communities, so much of our work is all about facilitation and bringing people together in more thoughtful ways. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for community builders to bring co-creation and a lot of what we talked about today. We tend to do a lot of informative meetings, even in community and have an opportunity to bring people more into those experiences. So really grateful for everything you shared today and all the work you're doing. And thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. 
The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoy this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.